Hi, I'm Michelle Lawler, the cinematographer of The Dropout, and this is The Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today we speak with Michelle Lawler, the cinematographer of The Dropout. Michelle, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I, I'm obsessed with this show. Um, that whole You're story obsessed with a, every show. I, I, I am. Well, <laughs> I say I am. <laughs> no, I really like this whole the whole story of Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos and everything. It's it's such a crazy story. It's a crazy story. How can you not become obsessed with it? Like, and I think the dropout does a, does such a good job of of making this character, making Elizabeth Holmes, like you can you certainly don't think she did a good thing, but you definitely have moments when you're watching where you can like relate and you're like, oh my God, you almost feel bad. It's like, it, it got so out of control with her, uh, for her, and I guess with her too, that it just, it makes her relatable. As crazy as the story is, the show does a great job of certainly highlighting the flaws, but making you kind of understand how someone can get there. It's just, it's so, so good. And, and the cinematography is beautiful. And there's so much to talk about, and we'll get to all of it. Before we do, though, I just want to quickly mention Filmmakers Academy, the sponsor of today's show. Master your craft at Filmmakers Academy. Head over to gocreativeshow.com forward slash Filmmakers Academy, and you get 10% off with promo code GOCREATIVE10. Of course, don't forget, follow us on your favorite podcast app, as well as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, where you can not only hear the show, but see it. All things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. So, Michelle, tell me what 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 appealed to you about this story? You know, you get the opportunity to shoot a show like this with a story that's so crazy like we'd mentioned before. What is drawing you to this project and why? I mean, there's so many things. I mean, number one, um, the scripts were really, really well written. Like, I, I read the scripts and I mean, they're they're riveting. I mean, the writers just really wrote these beautiful scripts. They were, you could really just, I mean, I was reading the script and I kind of forgot that I was reading it for a job. Like as I was just like, just like such a page turner, you know? And also I'm very drawn to like strong, dark female characters and Elizabeth Holmes just totally embodies that. Um, and, you know, the scripts were really great. There was a lot of opportunity. And Michael Showalter and I um, were shooting The Shrink Next Door when he got the job for The Dropout. And we had such a great time working together on that show. He was like, let's just roll over to this one. So it just felt like a very seamless decision and transition to do it. And um, it, it just, I also was really drawn to just like, it's such an epic saga. Like it just... And the characters change. It's this huge ensemble. Like the cast is extraordinary. And it just goes through all these different time periods, all these different looks, locations, uh, times. It's just very, as a cinematographer, it was just very appealing on many different levels. But the story is incredible. Yeah. And of course, what? I had watched the documentary. Yes. Um, I had seen her. Like, I just knew all about her. Um, so I, I was excited to kind of... And I think you're right. Like this, the 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 movie, the show does do a good job at sort of like seeing like what she was really going through when she was making the decision that she was making. Like you could see that like the snowball was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And she was just like the weight of it was so crushing. You know, you just can kind of really see how that gradually happened. So I, I think it's it's interesting. Yeah. I think when you watch the documentary, you leave it, or at least I left it feeling like, oh my God, what a horrible person. Like, how could she do this? She's hurt so many people. She's ruined so many lives potentially and blah, blah. And, and yeah, I mean, some of that is true for sure. The documentary, it, it almost like I was, I was watching it and I was like, am I a bad person for feeling bad for her right now? <laughs> like, I, you, yeah. you almost, it, it's so, it, it's, you really can you really can place yourself in her shoes at times when you're like, oh my God, she just, like the idea for Theranos is so good. It's like you want it to be real and you yourself almost become one of these investors, one of these people in our staff, one of these people in her or orbit where you're like, I want this to be real so bad that 
you just sort of believe that it can happen. It's a, it's wild. It's a it's a really interesting story. And um, also, she was so young. Yes. I mean, to be doing that. I mean, she was in you know the East Palo Alto baby Theranos um, when she was twenty three. I mean, and she had you know. Don like Ellenson and like just hundreds of millions of dollars invested in her. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary. And like, I know that it went totally wrong and like lives were damaged and people were hurt. And, you know, obviously like uh, testing the technology on cancer patients is just completely not okay on any human level. Um, But I think in a way, like you do in the beginning, especially like you do like root for her because she, just has such a drive and obviously was very intelligent and yeah. I'm curious from, from a cinematographer's perspective, when you take on a project like this, is it, does it make it easier to have a real person be at the core of your story? Like this is not fiction. This person actually exists. You can go and watch footage of her. You can get familiar with her. Is that, is that a helpful thing? for cinematographers to have something that you can sort of base your imagery around? I don't know if it's helpful, but I think it's, it's different in that, you know, there were so there's like this, um, I think it's 2020, but there's this one, uh, interview show that she did. Um, and, and just being able to watch that and see the way she interacts with the camera, see the sets, like see what her world really looked like. Um, is obviously something that you can just, you can reference. Um, so, you know, it was cool to be able to watch, you know, I rewatched the documentary like three times, just seeing like, that's what her office looked like. That's what her, you know, her people looked like. That's the way she moved through the space. Like, it's just, it's great to have that reference, you know? Um, but also, you know, in, in other shows, it's also great to just completely make up a world from scratch. So it's just it's just different. I think with with Elizabeth, like we wanted to kind of really stay true to the way that it was. Um, so it's great to have those those visual references. Yeah. And you can just really kind of I mean, I would sit in my office at lunch and just like watch interviews that she did or watch shows about her in different documentaries and um, like that interview that she did with Mad Money is like so crazy to watch. And you can just kind of see like you can kind of see the terror behind her eyes, you know, but she just keeps it very, very close, you know. So I love that. Um, and also she was she was starting to the trial when we were shooting. The trial was beginning. Oh, that's so right. That was also crazy. Um just to have that happening while we're making the show was something and, and like making a show about something that was just in the news all the time was, was a new experience for me. That must've, well, uh, uh, let's go down that road a little bit. I mean, did any of the things happening in the trial and anything happening in current events, did it change the way you approached it in real time? I mean, you're filming a show, but things are happening to this story as, as you're going. No, because the show doesn't reference the trial or like what I actually I actually haven't read the the finale and I haven't seen the finale yet. So I actually don't know what happens in the show finale. Um, but because I shot the first four episodes and the last the the final episode wasn't finished yet. Um, so but I, I don't you know, it doesn't deal with the trial. I mean, I think there's definitely, you know, there could be a there isn't a second season, but there definitely is like, you know, more to be more of the story. You know, I mean, she, she's pretty much going down, right? Mm. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look good for sure. Especially as you're watching the show and you like, like we said, you kind of root for her. You you just almost feel bad about the whole thing. Um, I got a question. Um, when you are taking on a show like this, you're doing the first four episodes you are very much setting the pace for the entire series. So, like, how is your involvement doing the first four episodes uh, different than the other cinematographers that come in to do, you know, the the subsequent episodes after you? Well, I think what's interesting about The Dropout is, um, you know, the first four episodes that me and Michael did are very different than the rest of the show because it's like we're... We're with her when she's a kid running track. 
We're with her when she's in high school. We're with her at Stanford. She goes to Beijing. She starts East Palo Alto. She's getting the money. She's doing all these things. Um, she has the investors. She almost gets fired. Like, you know, and then they're just moving into like the big glass castle, which is Page Mill. Um in the fourth episode. Um, so we only, we only shot in that big glass building for one episode, uh, maybe an episode and a half. Um, and you know, after, after episode four, the entire world of the show changes. Like she's only in the glass castle, her and Sonny get a different house. Um, and, and then there's the wall street journal, like all these different people, players and locations come into play. So like, it's almost like the show visually evolves from a production design standpoint anyway. So I think, um, you know, but uh, as a, as a DP who comes in and does the, the first four episodes, like you're definitely, you know, you're setting a lighting tone, you're, you're picking the camera, you're picking the lenses. Like you have the LUT that the show uses, like you're kind of, you're just setting the show up for what it is. And then, um, the DPs come after that, you know, they obviously, um, instincts are different and perspectives are different, but it's like generally, you know, try to keep it in the same world. But, you know, uh, unlike other shows, it's like, again, like the, the, the production design changes so much that it's like bound to look different in later episodes, you know? Yeah. I think that makes sense. In your four episodes, you get to touch so many different time periods so many different locations. Oh, yeah. Like there's a I lot mean, of action in the first four episodes for sure. Like a lot happens. Yeah. Was there a particular like location or scene or something in the first four episodes that really challenged you and kind of maybe even uh, changed the way that you, that you shoot? Yeah. I mean, one thing that was challenging is, um, you know, the, um, the, the East Palo Alto office, which is where Elizabeth is, it was her first office that she had for Theranos before they moved to the big glass building, um, was like a really shitty office building. Um, so we, the decision was made to shoot in our production office, which was a really crappy office building in Chatsworth that I had walked down the hallway every day to my little windowless office. And then to find out that we're shooting in that location was kind of a harsh toke. However, no way. Um, and that's actually happened to me before. I shot this show 20s, uh, Lena Way's show 20s, the first season. And um, the, the office that she works in is our production office. Like my office is like right off to the right of frame and all the wides. Um, and, you know, that's always made, that decision is always made for a financial reason. It's like, we're in here anyway, won't cost anything. So, and as a DP, you're like, okay, it's financial, but like, is it right? Like, is this the right location for this? Yeah. How do you balance that? Yeah. And you're also like, you know, you go through like a moment of heartbreak because you're like, okay, so we're going to shoot in like a white walled, like windowless like just drab, ugly office space, you know? However, it ended up being the right location. I mean, and, and honestly, like once we started, like once I just leaned into it and we were shooting it, it became obvious that like, this is the kind of office building that we, that we needed. So, you know, it, it was right for the story. Um, but, you know, it's always a little heartbreaking when you find out that you have to shoot in your production office. But, you know, it, it's always like a little bit of a red flag, but it, it happens. It happens all the time. Yeah. That's Because so if you crazy. need like a little office, you're shooting in a building with offices. Like why, like, you know, build it or go, you know, find it somewhere else when you can just like shoot it right over here. And, you know, so. Well, what is the red flag? I mean, in this in this circumstance, it it obviously worked out. The the location is like perfect for it. And as a viewer, it just seems like yeah, that that would be the type of place that she would have been in in the early stages. But like, what are the red flags that you're seeing when that happens? Well, you're just thinking about like you know, it's your production office, so it's a functioning production office. There's people working in the building. 
Um, and you're just, it's a building that you're just walking in and, and every day and like production offices, like every show I've ever worked on the production office, I, I have a windowless office and it's always kind of like, I bring in a little lamp and I try to like put up pictures and like make it nice, but it's always just kind of like a windowless cave where you're like working on the, the show. But, um, you know, it's just like. You always, I think as a DP, you always want a location that you can really like make your own and like transform and like really sort of commandeer. And I think when there's like, you know, office PAs kind of like working right in the other room, you know, there's just, it just, sometimes it just doesn't line up, you know? Um, and and I think, I think you also always want the location that's right for the story and not the location that saves a bunch of money. Um, but maybe I, I just couldn't see it right away, you know? And I, but, but once like we started shooting in it, I was like, Oh, like this totally works. Like this is great. You know, but it is like, you know, it's always kind of a bummer to shoot in just like a, a location that's just like hallways and hallways of like white walls and overhead lighting with no windows, you know, like, how do yeah. you, how do you make that look good? But I think I, I well, just how did had you? to, I mean, I just, I really leaned in to the crappiness of the, the space. Like that's what the space was. That's what her space was. And it's just leaning into that. And I think that it really, I, I was actually really, I think it's episode two where um, Don Lucas comes to the office and there's like this sort of like hijinks sequence where like he wants to see the prototype, but the prototype doesn't work. And she's trying to like, you know, save time before he gets in there and Rakesh spills the blood on him. And you're like walking down all these hallways and corridors and trying to avoid each other. That was really fun. And I, you know, and when I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this totally works. Like I didn't even think about the fact that it was our production office when I was watching the the show in color. Um, but to answer your question about how to make it look good, like I, you know, I, I switched out all the overhead tubes for a stereo tube so I could control them. I could change the color. I could, you know, maybe make the ones in the deep background, like a little darker just to like give it a little bit of shape. Um, and, and that way I had like a little bit of control opposed to just having it be, you know, cool whites and having it just be like one level. I was able to kind of control the levels a little bit more and like zhuzh it as much as I could. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's a common, I, I think that's a common problem for a lot of the people in my, in the audience, myself included, because oftentimes, especially if you're doing like corporate work, you are in offices. And mm -hmm. you have zero control, and offices don't really look that great, um, some of them. And how, what do you do? I mean, you're in a situation where you're Find swapping out the lights. <laughs> exactly. You're, you're, you're swapping out the lights, which I think is a luxury that you wouldn't really have if you were doing some corporate work. But it sounds like the name of the game is developing shape somehow um, yeah. in it's that definitely, space. It's definitely a luxury. I think that... Because, okay, so her, their office, which was sort of the bullpen, and then also her office, that was on the second floor, which is always a little challenging for lighting through the windows. And then, um, and that was right off this main hallway that we used. And then on the other side of the hallway was their conference room. So, and we were shooting like back and forth in each location. So we switched out all the tubes. I think we, I think my gaffer ordered like, 200 tubes or something. I mean, it was wow. crazy. It was crazy, but it enabled us to move really quickly. And I think that like, I was really pleasant. I was very, I was really happy with how that office stuff turned out. Like in the beginning, I was kind of like, ah, oh, like, what is this going to be like? But our production designer, Kat Smith did like an incredible job of transforming that office. She, um, she took out the carpet and she put in this like crappy red well she put in a pristine red carpet and then they just like you know totally doctored it to look so old and like lived in and I think that really made the space pop a little bit and she did such a great job at just transforming that space and making it really uh workable for us um and then in Elizabeth's office she was originally in this other office where there was this big tree right in front of a window and um 
we were just like, because they wanted her office to be separate from the bullpen, but I was able to talk them into moving it into the back office that had this like window to the street. So in Elizabeth's office, I was always able to kind of light from the window and let the window light win. So it wasn't always like a toppy situation in her office, which I think helped. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that all makes sense. You you had mentioned too, just finding a window is something that, it, you know, a lot of these places are windowless, but oftentimes you can be like, is there a room with a window? Like it really can help to make, to just give you some more options, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, windows are helpful. You'd mentioned earlier about the fact that the first four episodes is really the rise of Elizabeth Holmes. Like you see her from a child all the way going through all these different experiences. When you're telling a story like that, is there something that you're doing? And just to, when you're telling a story like that, as in you're watching somebody sort of go from childhood all the way up to basically stardom in whatever field that they're in, is there something in the way that you light them or you film them that supports this idea of a character becoming bigger and more influential over time? Absolutely. And I think on the dropout specifically, and again, this goes back to our production designer, Kat Smith. Um, there's such an evolution in Elizabeth's surroundings throughout the first four episodes. Um, you know, obviously when she's a kid, um, we went for sort of just like a sort of like softer, like lower contrast, like very, it took place in Texas. So the sun was, we kind of like had her running and like front sun and just having it be really like hot. Um, and then, you know, we also, in the beginning, Michael and I talked about this idea of like, she's always moving. Like she's just always moving. She's always trying, going, reaching, trying to like make something happen. So in the beginning, we just really wanted to be with her and to be like moving with her wherever she was going, we were going with her. Um, and then when she gets to the glass castle and page mill, you know, visually the, the, it just visually changes so much because she's in this vast building and that, that building was huge. We took over a building in Culver city which was like, you know, a two-story, like massive compound. And I think that they put in $150,000 worth of worth of glass into wow. the um into the floor that became her office. I mean, she cat like made this like and she was referencing the the actual uh Theranos they put in this like round conference room that was just like round all glass and yeah. put in all these glass dividers in this floor that was like, it was like the size of like a football field and it was just empty and they put in all this glass and dividers. So in there, you know, we really wanted to sort of like shoot like just everything. We wanted the world to just get bigger. Like her world just gets so big and we're always like looking at her through glass or moving through this massive space and, and just being able to sort of isolate her in different parts of the frame. And so, you know, that, I think that more than other things I've done, I feel like her visual evolution is so apparent just in the script, even, you know, cause she just, the, her environment changes so much. So, uh, yeah. Something that I noticed that was kind of a unique approach to the way that you treated uh, Elizabeth, Holm Elizabeth Holmes' character uh, with with the camera in the framing is that you didn't seem to do that kind of typical cinematography approach where you shoot somebody a little lower and up a little bit higher to give them that grandiose sort of feel, like the camera angles under their eyes looking up. You didn't seem to do that very much. It almost seemed like the bigger her world got, the kind of smaller she got within it. I saw a lot of headroom. I saw a lot of uh, like shots of people around her that really accentuate how she's much shorter than the than her like bodyguards or whatever. I, I felt like she was wider in the frame a lot of the times, and I'm curious if that just uh, if that was something intentional in order to make her feel almost like this world that she's creating is sort of crushing her a little bit. Absolutely, and I think I you know I never 
I didn't ever want to look down on Elizabeth. Like there's, I think there's a couple, there's one scene where um, Ian Gibbons played by Stephen Fry, who is a prince. um, He is kind of like calling her on her shit in her office. Yeah. And that was the first time that I kind of like looked down on her specifically because she's kind of like caught. But other than that, I just really wanted to be on her eye level, what she's experiencing in her world. But then again, as her world gets bigger, it I, I did want it to feel like she was, things were sort of overcoming her a little bit because I just think the lie just gets so big. You know, you have to like visually communicate the weight of that somehow. And, um, and Michael's great because Michael Showalter, I, I'm always kind of looking for like the nuance in things, like the sort of shots that we can get in between the dialogue to kind of visually show what's happening emotionally for the character. And he's like very invested in that. And I think that there was a, you know, I can't think of a specific opportunity, but I think like he was really open to like finding ways to like minimize her in those moments or like separate her in those moments and not just get into like TV coverage zone, you know? Yeah. And Michael Showalter is the director of the first four episodes with you and you you worked with him on those first four, right? Yeah, he did the first four and he's also the... um He's an executive producer on the show, and yeah, he's, yeah. Excellent. Um, yeah. All right, let's talk about a little bit of gear, all right? So in sure. the dropout- let's talk about gear. Let's talk about let's gear. Talk about what, for the dropout, what um, camera package did you ultimately end up choosing? Um, we'll start there, and we'll kind of expand it out. We shot on the Mini LF with uh, the Leica Similux lenses, which I loved. Why? I thought- I just, I, you know, I usually go for like sort of a, I really love cooks. Like I just, I always Me have to kind of force myself to expand a little bit, but I just, I love a cook S4. I just love it. I feel like it's just such a great lens. I really love shooting spherical. Um, and I, uh, I just, I love a cook S4, but for this, I felt like I wanted something that was kind of like newer and sharper and kind of like newer technology. Cause that was kind of like what was happening in the show. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, in the beginning of the show, I kind of like lowered the contrast a little bit. And then when she goes to page mill, we really like increased the contrast, just make everything a little bit more kind of like slicker and like fancier and just feel kind of bigger. Um, but I really, really love those lenses. I thought they were so beautiful. Um, I would use them again. <laughs> what What is it about the quality of the cooks that you love so much? Because I'm curious about this because I love them as well. I mean, anytime we can try to squeeze them into a production budget, I try to do it because I love them. I feel like the cooks have this like roundness to the image. Hmm. That is the only, that's the word that sort of comes to mind. Like, I just feel like there's this roundness and like this sort of softness that I really enjoy. Like I just, I, it's just Did you use them on, did you use them on um, Shrink Next Door? I did. I shot the Sony Venice, which I'm in love with, um, with the the Cook S4s on Shrink Next Door. And and that was a great, uh, that was a great friendship. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine because you have that kind of like sharpness and crispness that Sony's really known for and pairing that with just something a little softer, a little bit like round, like you had said, I think that's a great description of those cook yeah. lenses. I love that. All right, but back to the <laughs> back to the dropout. Totally, See, totally. you mentioned cook and now I'm like, all I want to do is talk about cook. Filmmakersacademy.com is filled with excellent courses. And one of my favorites is how to be a camera assistant. It's taught by Derek Edwards. And I wanted to bring Derek on for just a moment now to talk to you guys as well. So Derek, first, welcome to the show. And also tell our audience what, yeah, what can our audience expect from your camera assistant course? 
a lot of great information. I take you through all the tools that I use. I take you through just some of the small things that help me get along on set. You got to remember all these tools are just little pieces that are just going to help you out. I give you a couple of little tips on ideas of where to position yourself when you're pulling focus, because now we're not pulling focus off the camera anymore. So we have to pull focus somewhere in the corner in the room. And I try to help teach people what I'm seeing when I pull focus to try to nail the shot because we are storytellers, no matter if we are the unseen person in the room. Well, the course is awesome. It's called How to Be a Camera Assistant, and it's available right now on filmmakersacademy.com. I personally don't have much experience with these Leica lenses, but a lot of people talk about them. A lot of people think that they're a great option. And you said that they're, it's giving you something a little bit more modern, a little bit newer, a little bit more like newer technology. It, it, talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what does that newer look mean to you? What does that new technology in a lens mean to you? And why was it appropriate for the dropout? I mean, I think a lot of that stuff is like really subjective. Like I, it, it, I feel like with cinematography, it's like, it's so much just about your like intention and like somehow in like a meta way, it kind of like translates into the final project. But I just like, I liked the idea of using newer, sharper sort of just newer technology for this this show because she was trying to develop this like newer sharper technology um and yeah. i just immediately was like oh like maybe we should shoot with like newer like a newer sharper lens you know um instead of going for like a like a vintage lens to try to like kind of take the digital edge off um i wanted to kind of like and, and i i think in the past i've leaned towards like a, a sort of lower contrast look. And on this project, I wanted to kind of push myself into like a sharper, uh, more contrast situation. Did you put any filters on the glass? I didn't. I, the only the only glass I really put in front of the lens are grads and a polarizer and ND. Um, sometimes I'll I'll use some some diffusion in front of the lens, but I feel like earlier in my career, I I really, I really like rode with the black promist, um, but I haven't, I, I don't use much filtration, honestly. I, I, that doesn't mean I won't in the future, but just lately I've been more um, just about polarizers and ND. What changed, do you think? You said early in your career, you did it quite a bit. How have you evolved as a cinematographer and I'm curious, like what, what, why was part of that evolution kind of simplifying, you know, less in front of the lens? I mean, I think when, you know, like, I think when, when you're, when you're starting out and also when I was first starting out, maybe the cameras were a little different too, but, um, you know, like, I think I was always trying to take the digital edge off of whatever camera I was using. Mm. Um, but of course, like now, like, with like the mini or like the Venice, it's like, they're so, they're such beautiful, amazing cameras. I just feel like I don't, I don't need a bunch of diffusion in front of the lens. And I also like, I have a really, I have a DIT that I work with all the time, Peter Brunette, and we have such a great collaboration. Like, I feel like I'm kind of able to do what I want in with the DIT opposed to putting it in, in front of the lens. And I'll try, like, I just shot a feature and I was like, oh, let's, let's take out the black promist. And, you know, we put it on and it just bloomed too much. And we were like, nah, let's it just pulled, got pulled out right away. But, um, I don't know, I guess your tastes evolve too. Like, I think, you know, as a DP, like you're always sort of like honing your taste and those things just evolve with like, experience and confidence and just like things that you learn that you like and you don't like, like things that you're into or you're not into. And it's, it's really just like a feeling, like how you feel about how the light looks or you feel if the camera's in the right spot, you know? Is there like a, a new piece of technology or a new kind of look that is exciting you now that you are looking at and want to, want to play with? 
I, I would like to <laughs> maybe break out of my cook S4 uh, land and try. I mean, it was really exciting for me to try try the the Leicas. I, I'd like to kind of expand into a different lens world. I actually don't shoot anamorphic very much. And, um, I, you know, I'd like to kind of go into that world more too. You know, there's there's so many so many things to try, really. <laughs> there is. You know what what other cameras did you test for the dropout? Uh, we we looked at what did we test? Um, I know it was a while ago. I'm asking you to go back into the outer reaches of your mind and remember. I I understand you know, it's we, challenging. We always kind of knew we were going to do the mini LF because. Um, Originally, Michael wanted to do a lot of handheld, like the whole first four episodes were going to be handheld. Um, and I just wanted a small light camera that we could really just run around with. And, and I just find that the LF just once it's on the shoulder, it's so nice. And I had put the Venice on my shoulder in prep and um, I just felt like it was a lot for, and the operators can totally handle it, but I just felt like it was just a little too big. I'm excited for the new little Venice that just came out. Um, I would like to try that. That is a new piece of technology there you go. that I'm very <laughs> excited to try circling back. Um, very excited about that camera. Um, so the, the mini LF we kind of chose for its, its ergonomics and sort of footprint. And also like the Aries amazing. It looks amazing. I love that camera. I know that camera. I yeah. trust that camera. Um, but we tested a lot of different lenses. Um, and Michael really responded to the Leicas and so did I. Yeah. 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 Originally I was going to have like different, let's different lenses for each period. Um, and it just got too like, it just felt like too much, you know, cause we liked the Leicas so much. And then I just decided to kind of like, maybe play with the contrast and the image and like the look of it rather than choose a different set of lenses. Like sometimes like, and then this production too, like we, it was, we had stages, but a lot of the first four episodes were locations and we were doing sometimes three company moves a day. Like it was a really wow brutal schedule and, um, you know, and in such an ensemble cast too. Like we would do a scene with like 12 people in a room and then go do like this other scene somewhere else with like five people in a room and then go somewhere down in the parking lot and shoot like a night exterior. It was just very, we're always moving. So I also just felt like keeping the package small and contained uh, helped in a, in a production way. So you're always kind of balancing the creative with the practical, you know, what do you prefer? I mean, do you would you rather have shows all on stages or do you like the location? I just did a feature that was totally on stage and I really missed locations. And before that, I did a show that was all locations and I really missed the stage. So I feel <laughs> Grass like is it's always just, greener. It, it is. It is. I, you know, I like it when it's a mixture of both. I... I love shooting on location. I think it's great. I think it offers like a texture that's stage just doesn't sometimes and like this like reality and depth and, um, you know, and if, a, if, and if a show is scheduled right, I think that location stuff can be amazing. Um, I think when it's just like so packed in and relentless, it can get a little grueling, especially on a TV show that you're shooting for months and months. Um, so I, I like it when it's a mixture, but I, you know, on the dropout, it's like, as soon as we got back to the stage, we all kind of exhaled because we could just like, we had control. We were kind of set, you know, my DIT wasn't like, you know, pushing his cart like up a mountain every four hours. So, um, but she's very, very good at, um, <laughs> so I mean, being on a stage is nice. Like you have all the control, you know, especially with LEDs, it's like, you really just have all the control and it's, it's great. Um, and then sometimes you, you wish you just had a practical window to look out and see something real outside when you're on location. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause the thing about stage is just, I'm always thinking like, okay, but what's out the window, you know? And it's like on some shows, it's like you can't afford the right backdrop or like, you know, so you're always just like, okay, like, but what's out the window. So that's the, for me, that's the challenge on stages. It's like, what's outside the window? Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Do you think part of it is just because you know 
that there isn't anything out there and you just don't you don't second you don't you don't think twice about it when you're in a real location because you know there is a world out there exactly. but on set you're kind of like you're drawn to it because you know there's nothing out there correct and you hope that um I just, I really like there to be depth outside. I don't like it when the window is just blown out. Um, And that's actually, you know, that's something that I really leaned into with Michael Showalter because he does not like it when windows are blown out. Mm. And and, um, he likes to feel, even on stage, he just likes to feel the texture of something outside. And I really like that. Like I really got into the rhythm of that. And and I think now I just, it really bugs me when a window is super blown out. Not, not super blown out clipping, but just like blown out to the point where you just can't see what's outside. Like I like to see a little bit of something outside. Like I will rarely put like diffusion over a window. So it's just white, you know, like I'll always want to go for like a little bit of detail or something tangible outside. Uh, I want to talk about camera motion and camera movement in the dropout. You had mentioned earlier that you chose the Alexa Mini because it was a little bit more portable, a little easier on the shoulder. Um, So talk to me about the way that you approach camera motion in the dropout. And then I guess I'm just curious about your philosophy of camera motion for all your projects. I mean, I love Steadicam. Steadicam is such an incredible tool. Um, But I love like a really long sort of lateral dolly shot following somebody. Um, and I felt like with Elizabeth, like we just were always wanted to be moving with her. Um, so I really tried to, whenever we could get the scene on its feet and moving, um, we were always having her like walk through the office and having a conversation quickly. And like, I would always kind of opt for, um, you know, kind of like a lower, lower angle lateral dolly shot through some foreground. Cause I, I feel like having a little foreground on a shot like that really like kind of grounds the scene and reality for me a little bit. Um, I feel like a frontal two shot steady cam walk and talk to me always feels a little first thought. Like I, what do you mean? Like, it's just, it's really easy to just like, Throw on oh, the steady first, cam first and, thought being like the first idea of how to approach the scene. Yes. And okay. I feel like, you know, it's really easy to just be like, oh, we'll just be here and we'll just pull them in a two shot and a, and a steady cam. And I just, I, I, I don't always feel like that is servicing the story. It just feels like I'm kind of watching two people t- talk to each other. Um, so what I like about moving things on a dolly is like, I can kind of get foreground. It's It just feels kind of more like grounded. Um, and, and again, like I think being able to put foreground into the mix kind of really grounds the scene and like it just feels like you're in a real place opposed to just sort of like watching two people talk. So in terms of moving the camera, like I'll always just, I'm always thinking like, what is the best spot for the camera for this moment? Um, I'm rarely like, oh, let's just, you know, do like a a two two person uh steady cam walk and talk. I'm always trying to like think of a different way. Um and not not because I want to show off a, a cinematography. I just think that there's like I'm always thinking like what kind of grounds the scene and the space, like what feels right like for the motion and like, you know, what what's the best spot for the camera. There's also yeah. s- the language of a dolly move is so different than the language of a steady cam, regardless totally. of how steady it is. Totally. It's just it could be that it could be just as steady as a dolly, but somehow you just know it feels very different when it's a dolly shot. Um I get what I I'm, I'm curious from your perspective like what would be uh, what would be a situation where you're like this shot has to be a dolly versus this shot has to be a steady cam. I guess what are you looking for in the quality of the scene and the in the what's going on, the dialogue? What are the things that make a scene lean more towards a dolly versus a steady cam? Definitely geography, like um you know, uh Kenny Nuremberg, my my steady cam operator who I've done four shows with now. Um, I love him. He's so, he's such a great collaborator. Um, and he's such a great steady cam operator. And, um, you know, 
and again, we would be doing a lot of shots where we were like really rushing down the hallway with Elizabeth and then turning a corner and going into another room. And, and I think like geographically, if, if I can't do it on a dolly, I'll do it on a steady cam. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I do, I agree. Like there's just something sort of grounded about like a long dolly shot walk and talk that I just, I really love it. And it's just a taste. It's just like a feeling that I have when I see it, just like feel when it comes, when it really works, it just like, I know, I know what you mean. You know? It's, it's hard to articulate, but you totally- <laughs> It is hard to just, articulate, but it's just a feeling. It's just like what feels right for the scene. And sometimes I feel like, you know, I see something, on, you know, like there's a shot of Elizabeth and I forget what episode, but she's, um, she's like just walking through the office and, you know, we could have just done it on Steadicam. Like we could have, but I just, there's something sometimes about the Steadicam, the way that it floats uh, doesn't feel right for that thing, you know? And especially if you have foreground, there's just something about the dolly that's more like, you know. I, I, <laughs> I know, know, I know. Are, it's like, what people is People who are listening to this on the podcast are making a lot of hand motions. Exactly. Making a lot of hand motions. If any of you people <laughs> listening have, like know the word we're trying to come up with, <laughs> I feel um, like there's an opportunity there for, for a new word. But yeah, um, it's but like, then, it's a you know, but yeah, but the steady cam, like, I mean, Kenny, there's so many great steady cam moves in the show um, that were just perfectly right for steady cam. And, and, and again, in terms of being in like a frontal, a frontal steady cam shot, like, you know, the, the stuff that we did with her walking down the hallways and all the hijink stuff with steady cam, I mean, that stuff's great. And we could have never done that on a dolly. It's like, you don't want people like walking over the track and um, yeah, but I'm never trying to just like clean it up with steady, you know? Yeah. Which I feel like a lot of people are like, Oh, let's just do it on steady cam. And it's like, but is it the right tool? You know? And sometimes you do need to just like get it done on the steady cam. But you know, I try to be a little bit more intentional um, when time permits. Let's talk about lighting in the dropout. Um, I know in your four episodes, lighting changed quite a bit. You're in a million different locations. I'm sure there was, you know, everything is kind of different. But was there one overarching philosophy about the way that you approach lighting in the dropout? You know, I think with the dropout, um, because we were in so many office buildings, the sort of, I feel like I had to, my philosophy had to kind of adapt to the spaces that we were in. You know, I mean, we were in a lot of offices where there was just overhead lighting. And it's like, um, you know, in some ways I was, so I had to really lean into that. Like I had to really lean into overhead lighting, white walls, not a ton of windows. Um, and, you know, especially in the, um, in her early office, I really wanted to put her in the office with the window because I liked the idea of her sort of having the only room where like light was coming in through the window and kind of like hitting her from the outside. And then when she was out in the office, it's all top lit. So it's like, everything is illuminated. Like she can't really like hide you know? Um, so I just liked the idea. I, I tried to lean into the idea of like when she's in overhead light, like she's being seen and she sort of has this, she has to have this sort of veneer. Um, but when she's in her office, I would turn the overheads off and just try to come through the window as much as I could. So she could sort of have a moment of like being herself or like having like real um, conversations with people where she was kind of like being real. But then when she was under the top light, she like had this exterior all buttoned up, you know? Did and, you, um, did you employ, um, eye lights in this quite a bit? And I asked- You love to talk about eye lights. You love I do. to talk about eye lights. I do. I think it's because like, for some reason it's what I'm obsessing over right now. And I want to incorporate <laughs> it. I want to incorporate it more into my own work. It's not, it's not anything that I used to pay very close attention to, but I feel like 
especially with this character, um, like she, her eyes are, whenever you ask anybody, or at least in Amanda my family. has, be, like her face is so beautiful and her eyes are so expressive. Giant, like, but also Elizabeth Holmes' eyes. Like you look yes, at her. so and, expressive. Yeah. They're, they're expressive, they're giant. You can, you almost feel like, is she a little crazy? I don't know. There's something about her eyes that just draw you in. So I'm thinking like, how do you handle that? Is that, uh, do you have to do much? Is it just like, they're just naturally beautiful. You don't need to do anything. Or are you enhancing them in some way? And yes, I am obsessed with highlights right now. <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. Um, I was hoping I'd get the eyelet question. Um, Amanda Seyfried is, I just want to also just say like, she is so phenomenal on this TV show. And she was phenomenal to work with. And I will tell you an anecdote about her quickly, which All I've right. never experienced before. She got the crew a different fancy truck every Monday of production as a thank you. Wow. Every Monday she would have some, and it wasn't just like a hamburger truck. It was like a weird, fun, creative truck that we had never had before. And every single Monday, she got a truck for the crew as a thank you. And I just thought that that was just so classy. I had never experienced that before. And she just, she really treats the film set like a family. Um, she's just very kind. And like that, that show is her family for the time that she's there. And I just really enjoyed working with her. She was phenomenal. Um, what was one of your favorite trucks? Um, oh man, I don't, I don't remember. She, there was a pasta truck that came one once that was kind of fun. It was like a pasta truck. That's a great idea. I love yeah, that. And then everyone's get, all like, excited. Like, pastas. oh, what's coming next week? What's the truck going to be next week? I love that. Yeah, exactly. It was really cool. There was like, yeah. And it was really creative trucks too. Like, like, what is it? You know, um, there was like a mochi truck, you know, just really different fun trucks. But anyway, her eyes are, um, she has really big, beautiful eyes. And, you know, as far as like eyelights go as a philosophy for me, like I'm always hoping that the key light or the window or the floor or like something is make, doing an eye light naturally. I feel like whenever I try to kind of force an eye light in there, um, it's not always quite right. But, um, you know, hopefully there's like, something bouncing off the table or something in the distance bouncing off a floor or there's like a window. Um, obviously people move, so maybe they're not always in the eye light. Um, but I don't, I feel like I, I prefer if I'm trying to sneak in an eye light, I kind of like something off like a, maybe like a pizza box, like super dialed down. I don't like, um, like a tube light. I don't, I don't like the eye light to be like a. A line. A line. I like it yeah. to just to be a little ping. Yep. Um, but I don't know. I feel like finding the right eye light is just sort of a lifelong uh, challenge. And, and I guess you never will because the circumstances are going to be different. They do have to reflect what would be in the room. Otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So but I think I mean, you have that too. Yeah. And I think there's just like highlights everywhere in life. I think, you know, you're just trying to ho hopefully the key light is is doing the job. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. or some something somewhere in the room is is doing the job. And then if you I, need to add one, there's there's many ways to get there. What's one of your what's one of one of your sneaky little ways to get an eye light in there? Uh, a, a pizza box. I like a pizza box. I'll try to get a pizza box with like something in super low into it just to give it a little smudge, you know? Cause I don't want to also, I don't want to, I don't want to fill out the face with a light that I'm adding for the eyes either. Cause it's like, it has to be low enough that it's not blowing up the lighting, but it has to be bright enough that you're, you're getting something in the eye during the day. If I need some sort of eye light, I'll always just put in a pizza box and just try to, Talk to me about this pizza box. I don't think I'm I'm aware of what you're talking about. Just a very small bounce, just like a, like a two okay. by two bounce. That's like this this big. So it's yeah. not even a light source. It's just it's a no. It's just something to way. like reflect light into the eye. Yeah. Oh, that's and I might bounce cool. something off of that. 
just very, very low, just so it's illuminating a little bit. Oh, all right. All right, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and this is something that um, came to us, and our producer, Connor, always asks our guests about a couple things that they want to talk about that they think would be interesting for the show. And one of the things that you would mention is how little prep you had for your four episodes. And what I'm seeing here in my notes is five weeks to prep four episodes. Is that true? Do we have it wrong? And if not, that's crazy. That's insane. Yeah, I think I had, um, I think I had about five weeks and my gaffer and my key grip had um, three and a half weeks. Um, the thing that was the, the hardest part was that I might've actually had a little bit more than five weeks, but because of the like massive amount of locations, yeah. two weeks of our prep was spent in a scout van looking at different locations. So like we were just constantly scouting and it, you know, it's really hard, especially with COVID you're in a van, you have to be spread out. You're all wearing masks in the van. It's really hard to get work done in the van. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I feel like we, you know, time that could have been spent sort of like, you know, I love to have time with the director to just really read through the script together and just talk through the script and kind of get their take and their ideas and like what we're both thinking. Um, it's really nice when you have some time to like just marinate on it, you know. And then you, once you have your locations, you can really I really like to draw overheads um, and kind of talk about what the blocking could be beforehand, because obviously, you know, especially in TV, it's like you get into a scene and it all changes. Um, but I just, I always find like, if I have sort of a general plan, it's much easier to just throw that out the window and completely pivot. Um, and Michael really, and I really like to draw overheads and like have like a really solid plan going in. Um, but for the dropout, we only had time to do that for the first two episodes so the last two episodes, um, we had talked through the script, but we would go into every scene being like, okay, like, what do you think? Like, like talking about blocking and kind of figuring it out in the moment, um, which I'm really comfortable doing. Like, I feel like, and I think that just comes from experience. Like, um, the more you do, the more kind of, um, the more, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of nice to just watch the blocking and kind of feel your way through it. And I feel like sometimes that's better than going in with like a really rigid plan of like how you want it to go. Cause there's so many things that sort of unfold in front of you. You know, I might've just gone off on a tangent. No, I, it's actually interesting about to me. prep time. And, and well, <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking about prep and I think we're talking about prep and I think it makes sense. Like, um, do you oftentimes get to sit in on the rehearsals at all or do you basically, it's the um, first time you see the scene unfold when you're on set? Yeah, I am. Um, they had some rehearsals, but I was too busy doing other things. I couldn't attend. Um, but no, I don't, I don't see any rehearsals beforehand. It's usually you're rehearsing it on the day. And um, usually like on the day, Michael and I will come like 30 minutes earlier with the actors and kind of go through the general blocking of that first scene. So that way when the crew comes, we can show them right away and then mm. get into it. Um, but yeah, I think for the last, for episodes three and four, we were really showing up on the day and being like, okay, so this is the scene. Like, I feel like it should go like this. Like, what do you think about this? And then doing it. Cause that's all we, we had time for. But I think also like, after the first like episode of a show for me, like I kind of understand how the show works. And I think that you can kind of feel like, oh, this is right for this scene. This is right for this scene. Like this scene feels like it should be really static. This one feels like it should really be on its feet. Um, and with Michael, we just like know each other so well, it's easy for us to kind of just like dance in that moment together and just be like, okay, like we'll do this, 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 and this. And, and I think that, you know, when I watched the show too, it's like, I feel like we were still able to get some, some like nuance in there, even though we were kind of figuring it out. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly the show is awesome. Everybody's loving it. I love it. I know our audience does and will too if they haven't seen it, but it's called The Dropout. It's on Hulu. And I really enjoyed talking with you, Michelle. That was a lot of fun. And Thanks. it um, was fun. Thank you so much get, for having me. Yeah, we didn't get to talk about the shrink next door at all, which is which is fine. I mean, go, it's on Apple TV Plus. It's such a good show. The Thank shrink you. I next love that door. show too. I think like Will Farrell, Paul Rudd, and Katherine Hahn are like, they're just so great. They are so great. I thought their performances were extraordinary in that show. Yeah. It's awesome. And you did quite, I mean, did you do that entire series? Yeah, I did eight episodes. Oh my God. Yeah. See, we should, we should have carved out time for that show, but we didn't. It's okay. It is what it is. You shot it. It looks amazing. And everybody listening should go and see it if you haven't already. And it just means you need to come back on the show and talk oh, about any- your, your next project. Anytime, I would love to. All right, I want to thank Michelle Lawler, cinematographer of The Dropout, for coming on Go Creative Show and talking to us all. Um, show is so, so good. I love The Dropout. I know you guys will too if you haven't seen it yet. So please do check it out and let us know what you think of this episode, of this conversation. I would love to hear from all of you. I want to thank Filmmakers Academy for sponsoring this episode. Check them out at gocreativeshow.com forward slash Filmmakers Academy. And don't forget, get a 10% off code with promo code GOCREATIVE10. You get 10% off of your purchase over at Filmmakers Academy. We love those guys. They are so committed to our filmmaking industry and making us all better. So please do support those that support us. I also want to thank Connor Crosby at Ignition Visuals, who produces this show, and Dave Siegel from SiegelSound.com, who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good. It takes a village, people, back here. It takes a village. I also want to uh, encourage you all to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, where you can not only hear the episode, but see the episode. All things Go Creative Show at GoCreativeShow.com. And if you want to follow me, you can find me on Instagram, at Ben Consoli, B-E-N-C-O-N-S-O-L-I. I post a ton of behind-the-scenes stuff from my own projects and movies and TV shows and all sorts of stuff. Uh, everything going on in my world is there on Instagram, at Ben Consoli. Thank you for joining us today, and we will see you next week on another episode of The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. Filmmakers.